if you're new, I'm Charlie, the lead pastor here. And whether you're in the room or joining us online, really glad that all of you are here today. And if you were here last week, you got to hear us make an announcement that we have uh, taking possession starting tomorrow of about 2,500 square feet, like straight that way. Like you walk through the cafe, it's that part that fronts the building over there. It's going to allow our, our, our roots, our youth group, to have their own space. It's going to allow our kids group, kids ministry back here to kind of expand, and it's a really great opportunity. So I don't know if you were here, saw that video, or you're online. We, we released the video on Facebook. And then, I don't know if you saw this, how many of you saw a video that I made with Matt, our youth director? Like, okay, so if you, I'm not I'm always trying to push people to Facebook, but I'm telling you, you need to get on Facebook just to see that. If you've never seen a youth pastor do push-ups on a staircase, it's, it's, it's amazing. I, I told him, hey, I want you to bring a lot of energy. And even though I had said that, I still was like overwhelmed by, by, by his energy, by what, by what he brought. It's worth, it's worth it just, just to watch that. You may be watching and think, is this real? And I'm telling you, I was there the whole time. A character that really doesn't matter. This is really matter. What if there's some big story out there and I'm in a an in, really insignificant side character who just doesn't really bring any value to the story. And I think whether we think of it in really nerd terms like I do, or just, just, just in more real ways, we ask ourselves these types of questions. Do I matter? What is the story of this universe? What is going on here? What is happening? And, and, and does the role that I play, does it have great significance? And so we're going to spend the next four weeks in the book of Ruth, and we're going to look at a person who really wasn't that significant. There really wasn't anything about her, her life, kind of the, the role that she played that made her of any great consequence. And yet, for her being, the decisions that she made and the small, relatively insignificant things that she did, she actually ended up playing a very significant role, not only in her world with her family, but ultimately in God's big picture story. And so just to kind of set the table for you, I am hoping our prayer for you is that when this is over, that you would not believe any longer that you are an insignificant player in the story that God is crafting in this universe, but that God even though you may view yourself as incredibly insignificant, God views you as incredibly significant. And you have an incredible role to play in his story. So we're going to jump in here with the book of Ruth. We're going to spend a lot of time today just kind of introing the story, make sure we understand who the characters are, what's going on here, and to kind of get this picture of, of who Ruth is. So we'll start here. We're going to look at most of chapter 1 today. But for right now, we're just going to look at the first five verses, chapter 1, book of Ruth. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. 
After they had lived there about ten years, both Malan and Kilian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. All right, so we've kind of got an intro here to the story. And the first thing we need to make sure we understand is that first phrase. Is this is taking place in what it says is the time of the judges. Make sure we understand where that fits into our Old Testament history. You know, the, the, the birth of, of the, the Jewish nation starts with Abraham being called by God. And he has a son, Isaac. Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob kind of carries this blessing to start this nation. He has 12 sons that become the heads of the 12 tribes of what ultimately becomes Israel. And they prosper there. But then there's this story with Joseph where they end up in Egypt for a while. And they're doing really well. But then they get enslaved there. And they're there for several hundred years. And then Moses is raised up by God to go get them and bring them back to this land that God had promised them. And they go back there and they conquer the land that God has entrusted to them. And before they have a king of any type, it says like here, they, they, they're ruled by judges. We're just kind of like regional magistrates, kind of godly people appointed by God to kind of settle disputes. But there was no country leader. There was, there was no king, just kind of these regional magistrate, just judges kind of people. So this is the, this is the place where it falls in historically. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, that's where they conquer. Judges, where they talk about the way, the, the way these judges and talks about some of the main ones. Ruth, so we're still in that same time frame. So we've got this story that takes place here, and we kind of introduced to a handful of people, right? we got a dude who moves his family to, from, from Israel to Moab. His wife, they have two sons, and those two sons marry two daughters. Not a really significant intro here. And in fact, of the six people that were introduced here, Ruth doesn't necessarily carry any significance in the story. It's like she's just one of the Moabite wives. And the only reason we would know at this point that this story is about Ruth is because it's named after her. So it's no, no real spoiler here for me to tell you this. But even in the intro here, there's not a whole lot of significance around it. But we do know that there is this entire book that we are looking at here today, a book of the Bible that is dedicated to her. So even though up until this point, all we have is she's an insignificant Moabite wife who marries a a Jewish man, we don't really know anything. And there's really, like she wasn't born a queen, she's not a princess, she's not some great person, she's just regular. And I think this is the big takeaway that I think that we need to have as we're trying to understand this story, is that Ruth is a very unlikely hero. She's obviously the hero of this story because it's named after her, but it's very unlikely. We don't don't see anything here in this intro to say, wow, this this is about to be some great, powerful, important person. In fact, the opposite of that is true. There is enough here in the first few verses of chapter 1 for us to be not, not simply like not mindful of Ruth, but to actually be really, really skeptical of her. And so we don't feel these same sorts of things, but if you think about, if we try to put ourselves in the minds and the hearts of the original people who would have known this story, people maybe who lived during this time or the people who lived in the times of the kings looking back on it now seeing the significance of this story, would have had a lot of red flags in, in these first few verses. And the first one, and again, I'm gonna, what we're going to do here is I'm going to express the biases of the people who 
would be reading this story for the first time around this time. I'm going to express their biases to you. I assure you, these are not my biases. I'm just trying to put you in the real mindset of this story, and, and we can really understand it the way it was meant to be understood. And so first of all, we seem to make, take, take note of the fact she's a woman. And a, and a woman was not of great significance, at least historically. Like all Genesis through Deuteronomy, there's lots of um, genealogies talking about who this person, this person. It was always, and, and this dude had a son, and, he, and then that dude had a son, and then that dude had a son, and it's dudes and sons, dudes and sons all the way down. It's always just dudes and sons. If somebody got a mama, then they might have a mama. Well, forget it. It doesn't matter. Mama doesn't matter. What matters is you tracing your lineage from, from father to father to father like that. And so women do not have not played a significant role, or at least are not thought of to have a significant role as far as like being really important. But it's not just that she's a woman. She's a Moabite. And you think, I don't even know what that means. Who cares? I think, but we just start with this. The Moabites and, 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 and the Israelites, they had real beef, like real beef. It's not just racist. It's not like they didn't like each other because actually they were very similar in race. Um, Abraham being the father of, of Israel, and his nephew Lot, essentially his one of his sons being Moab, who was the father of Moabites. So racially, they're very close. But during the Exodus, as they are coming from Egypt back into their promised land, uh, the Moabites actually pick a fight with them, where they try to he like the the king there he hires this um, he hires this prophet to try to curse them. And it's the story, uh, it got, it's got a talking donkey in it. You don't know what that story that is about Balaam and the talking donkey. You should totally go look it up. It's in Numbers. It's a great story. And so they, they are trying to curse them. They are opposing them. And essentially there's this, there's this, kind of this idea, you read it. Now you don't want, you don't, you don't align yourself with Moabites. They are our enemies. They are God's enemies. And so she's a Moabite and that's, that's not, that's not, just not great. And, so let me make sure, and, and we're trying to understand what's going on with this family. So there was a famine in the land, God's special land. And so rather than trusting God, this family decides to leave and go to Moab. I'm going to let this these terrible people, I'm going to live under the prosperity of these terrible people. So this, like even the, even the Jewish people in this story, they're not great because you didn't, you didn't stay and, and trust God. You went to trust and not even, you trust other people, not just other people, these people. And then what happens to them, for again, from, from, from the people's perspective of reading, is exactly what you would expect to happen. You go step outside of God's protection, and you go live with God's enemies, and what happens? Well, you die for one. He dies. Elimelech, he's dead. And then they don't have the sense to then leave then, and so then both, both of the sons die. And so you read this story, this family is cursed by God. And you may go, burp, 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 burp. I thought we didn't believe in stuff like that. Does God really act that way? It doesn't say that God is doing this. I'm just telling you what you're supposed to feel when you read it. This is a cursed family who has made a terrible decision, are intermarrying with the wrong people, and enter Ruth. So there's a lot of layers to this story, especially if you are 
again, a contemporary of the story, an original reader of it. And ultimately, one of the big things that they need to understand, which is important for us too, is the shattering of stereotypes. We decide in advance who is and is not significant based on the role that they play, their, their birth, their race, their nationality, their relative level of wealth, the job that they have. There's lots of ways that we determine mentally in our own brains, and we're all different, but we all have our different ways in which we decide whether or not someone is or is not important. And this is blowing up almost everyone that, 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 the, that, that the Israelites would have had. And I think it's important for us to do the same thing. <coughs> There's also a significance in this story that it's going to come together at the very end, and we're going to like, we'll see all these things that Ruth does and, and the way it all comes together, and it's like, and guess what? And there's going to be like this little plot twist at the end about placing her and her significance in God's bigger picture story. I'm, I'm leaving it as a plot twist because I just want, I want the story to play out that way. You may know the story already, like I, I know this, or you don't, and I can't keep it from you. I mean, it's right there. It's like three chapters. It takes like five minutes to read it, right? But there's like, there's this, there's this significance of like, we have this insignificant woman who never does anything amazing, but God uses this to do something really cool in this point in history that leads to all these other amazing things. And ultimately, it's connected to what Jesus does. And, and so that's a significant part of the story, and we'll be unfolding that over the next few weeks. But ultimately, the way that I want to frame it for you guys is as I want you just to be thinking about this, this is the point for us, is that God used her. Someone who, by any normal way at the time of evaluating people, was of no significance. And very, I'm pretty sure even in her own mind, she would not have thought of herself as some sort of significant person who in her culture and in her world at the time Sure, she didn't think it, she she thought that she mattered. I'm really important, and and yet, despite all the things that the culture was saying, despite all the the internal negative talk that she might have about herself, it turned out that her life was of great consequence. What she did and who she was changed the world in significant ways, even though by the time this story's over, we're not going to look at anything huge that she ever did. Like, if you've been here before, we always, like most years, about every year, we, we do an, we'll go through an Old Testament character. A few years ago, went through the story of Esther. Kind of had the same startup, relatively insignificant person in an insignificant time. But God raises her up. But the ultimately, the thing that God called Esther to do was was big. It was significant. So it was a insignificant person being called to do something significant. This is an insignificant person who's just at various times just chose to do the right thing. And, and, and nothing was in and of itself of great consequence. But a life lived well. It mattered and it changed the world. So let's just jump into the heart of the story here. Verse 6, Ruth chapter 1. When Naomi heard in Moab, Naomi, that's the, um, uh, that's, the, that's the mother-in-law. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, 
she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? I'm going to have, am, I, am I going to have any more sons? Who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, no, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So Naomi gets word that finally the famine has lifted and they, can, and they feel like they can go back. And so even though she's kind of in this hopeless situation, she's a widow, she doesn't really own anything then, doesn't really, she doesn't have any heirs to own anything, she's not, she's not, not doing well here, she goes back home, she, at, least, at least there maybe we're around family, maybe things can be okay for me. And she looks at her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, and says, hey, listen, it's going to be way better for you. It's going to be way better for you. You should just stay here. You should stay here, go back to your mom and dad's house, you can find a husband here, and, and it'll just be better for you. You don't want to come with me. And Orpah doesn't want to go, but she ultimately, no, I, I want to be with you. I want to be with you. No, please stay. And so then she does. And we need to take a break right here. You think I'm saying it wrong, but it is Orpah. It's not Oprah. When you read it, when you see it, it's not Oprah. It is Orpah. And I looked this up. She was named Orpah. But in Mississippi, as in Arkansas, as in every way, we don't know how to say things. And so she just, they just started calling her Oprah because apparently they couldn't say Orpah. But she was, in fact, named after a Bible character, and her actual name is Orpah, not Oprah. So just, we were all, you, 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 were, you were mildly distracted. I was distracted. Now we can just move on. And Orpah has now gone back to be with her, with her family. But Ruth is like, can't, I can't, I can't, I cannot abandon you. It would not be right in the eyes and in the mind of God. It would be wrong for me to do that. It would be wrong. I mean, God, would, God, God wouldn't feel good about it. I wouldn't feel good about it. And, and she shows her this overwhelming amount of kindness and love and support and says, wherever it is you go, whatever situation you find yourself, no, no matter what, know this, I am going to be with you. Not even death will separate me from you. We are in this together. So what we have here is just, at this point, just one remarkable selfless act of kindness and love. Where she makes a decision to say, I could do what is easiest and best for me, or I can do this thing that I believe that God is wanting me to do. 
I can do what is best for me, or I can show incredible love and compassion to my mother-in-law. Not, again, not overwhelmingly complicated, not some earth-shattering, world-changing moment, just a moment in time where she says to her mother-in-law, we're in this together. Whatever bad thing happens to you is going to happen to me. And we, we together are going to work this out. So again, in a, in a relatively insignificant moment, she does a couple of things. And the first one is this, is that ultimately she trusted God. She trusted God. This is what God wants me to do. Even though it doesn't seem like that there's going to be a really great chance of success here, I believe that this is what God wants me to do. And she chose to do it. She chose to do the right thing, even though she didn't want to. And it's funny, this is an annual tradition. It's an annual tradition surrounding the men's retreat, where it's time to go to the men's retreat. And I have conversations beforehand, during the men's retreat, and then after the men's retreat. And they're like, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't really want to go. I don't, I don't think I want to go. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to go. Because it just, this is awkward. Like, well, what are we going to be doing? There's all these guys out there. Like, I don't know what it is. I just, I just rather stay home. And then, and then the guys that ultimately make the decision to come to the men's retreat are just like, and that was really good. I re- I'm really glad I came. God really did something in me. I built some great relationships. God's kind of convicted me about some things. And a decision to make, to do, to do something, even though you didn't want to, but I knew it would be for my good, ultimately has a really good effect. And there's things like this that happen all the time where there are things that you don't want to do. There's things that is like, in this moment, I'm not sure I want to. Do I want to come to church today? Do I, do I want to do this? For me, do I want to walk out in the cold and watch kids acquire candy? No, I don't. I don't. There's lots of things like that I don't, I don't want to do. And then, and then we do them. And then when you do the thing you know you were supposed to, God, does, God shows up. He always shows up. And there's a really kind of life-impacting, significant story for me that is really birthed in insignificance. I used to tell it all the time in Connections. And if, you're, if you've been around a while and you've been to Connections, you've heard this story, you're going to be really disappointed. I can't believe this dude doesn't tell this story in Connections anymore. I apologize. But it has to do with me as a freshman in college. And I grew up going to church, and, and, and it was just a, just, a, just a normal old church. And I would have told you then that I liked going to church and didn't realize that I didn't like going to church until I moved away and went to a church just like the church I did growing up. Same kind of teaching, same kind of music, same kind of people, same building, same chair, same everything. And I'm sitting there thinking, this is awful. I hate this. Why am I here? I set an alarm to be here. I just hate, I hate all of this. This is, this is dumb. What is the point of this? And at the same time, I'm a freshman in college making decisions that say, hmm, hmm, hmm. Freshmen and freshmen make. I'm like I'm living a freshman kind of life, making making decisions that weren't for my best. And I'm thinking about I should just punt on church altogether because what is the point anyway? But I had this. There was this trap. There was I was trapped, and I was trapped by the fact that my parents would call me every Sunday afternoon at 1:30, and it was not coincidence that that was when they chose to call me. And you got to understand. You got to set the context here. This is back when there were only hardwired phones, right? You had to set an appointment to call somebody because they, otherwise they wouldn't be there. Sorry, I'm old. So anyway, so they would call me, and they, they picked this time on purpose, right? They had two questions. First question, how was your week? But that was a throwaway question. That was not the question that they wanted. The real question was the second question. What was the second question? Yeah, how was church? 
And so I'm trying to make a decision. Am I going to start lying to them or tell them to stop asking? And um, ultimately, I decided I would give church one more chance. And this is how old I am. Amen. I had to go to the yellow. I look in the yellow pages and I find a church. Where you find it? Church called Fellowship Bible Church in Conway. It was very similar in name to a church that my brother was going up to here when he lived up here. I was like, I'll give this a shot. And I went there, and it was fine. The music was fine. The teaching was good. The people were a little friendly. It was fine. It was fine. I think I, think I could suffer through this in order to um, appease my parents. But then ultimately, this guy who's leading a Bible study with freshmen in my dorm, I meet him, and I get into this Bible study with him, and, and the direction of my life began to radically change from whatever this was about to be to whatever it is you would say I am now. Because on one insignificant Sunday in November of the fall of 1990, I made a decision to go to church when I didn't want to. And God ultimately did something really significant. This is what she did. She trusted God. But then she also, she just loved well. She loved well. She loved her mother-in-law. She loved her well. She made a decision to say, I'm just going to love her. And when we make that sort of decision to say that I'm going to love people. I mean, something good always happens. I make a decision to say, okay, well, here's what I'm, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to show compassion to someone who is, who is hurting. I'm going to remember someone's birthday. I'm just going to send them an encouraging text. I'm going to give food to someone who needs it. She made a decision that this, this may not be in my own best interest, but I'm going to love her well. And even though, again, it wasn't of great significance. You know, some of you may think, I don't know, I mean, I'm I'm not ever doing anything of great significance. All I ever do, like the most important thing I feel like I ever do is every week I come here and I love on preschoolers. You have no no idea. You have no idea the impact that you're having on preschoolers. You have no idea the impact that you're having the parents of that preschooler who are getting to worship while you're taking care of them. Man, I don't really do, I don't really ever do anything really important. I just sit there at the front door and people who are new, I introduce myself to them and I help put them at ease as they come in. That's all I'm doing. You have no idea who you're meeting and how fearful they are about being at church. And you have no idea what God is going to do in their life that week or the next. But when we make decisions with people that we know, our friends, our family, people that we meet at church, people we meet out there, strangers who are in need, and you make a decision to show a little bit of love, you have no idea what the rippling impact of that is going to be. And ultimately, again, as we set the stage for this story, this is what I want you to believe. That you, you, are an unlikely hero in your own God-crafted story. God is crafting a story around you that in and of itself with Ruth is really insignificant. But you're the hero. You're the star of that show. And when you play your part, when you do the small things that God calls you to do and you love people well, I trust God and I love people well, then what God is going to do in your life is going to be of great significance. I'll spoil a little of the Ruth story. So far, all she's done is choose to follow her mother-in-law. The other big things that she's going to do 
She's going to go gather food, and she's going to flirt with a dude who's already flirting with her. That's it. Those are the big, epic, monumental things that she does. But because she does them, because at each step along the way, it is a demonstration of faithfulness and trust in God. It is a demonstration of love to her suffering mother-in-law. Each step along the way, the significance builds. And ultimately, again, the story is going to end with, and this is who Ruth ended up being historically, which is going to point to the kings. It's going to point to Jesus. And it's going to be like, whoa. She thought she was just living a normal life. And all she was doing was in varying moments choosing to be faithful to God and choosing to love other people well. And ultimately, she's now an historical figure. The real hero of the story of me at church the fall of my freshman year is a woman named Bev. And um, in the middle of this service, they had a thing called meet and greet where you stand up and say hi to the people around you, which was really, really weird. We never did that because nobody wanted to be there and I didn't care that you were there. So why are we standing up saying hi to one another? I don't know, but we did. And so then we just kept going. And then after the service, she says, you're a college student, right? I was like, yeah, she says, hold on. And then she introduces me to this guy who gets me in a Bible study and begins to mentor me in college. And I come on staff with this organization and start a ministry on this campus and then ultimately help plant a handful of churches St. Louis, Cabot, been pastor here for a while. And ultimately, ultimately, the, the diverging path in my life between whatever I was becoming as I was going to give up on God and continue to make bad decisions and what God has done in my life now, the pivotal point was a woman at church introducing herself to me taking the time to connect with me, someone she thought I would like to know. A relatively insignificant moment in her life that had huge impact on mine and a ripple effect on hundreds, thousands of other people because of one act of kindness. Your role, your life, great significance in the story that God is building in this world as he is bringing the hope and the life of the gospel of Jesus Christ to people every moment where you trust God and you love well is a significant moment not only in your life but in the ripple effects that it has question for us this week and over the next few 